This presentation is brought to you by the Friends of the Amazing Facts Ministry. Jesus said in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, to him that overcomes, to him that overcomes, to him. He says it seven times. Why would Jesus say to him that overcomes if it wasn't possible for you to overcome? The question is, do you believe Jesus? Or do you believe the devil? I don't know if you ever heard about um, a nefarious character by the name of Grigore Rasputin, sometimes known as the Mad Monk. He was a, uh, started as a Russian Orthodox believer, but he kind of went on a spiritualistic pilgrimage and uh, became sort of a self-proclaimed holy man. Uh, by the time he got to St. Petersburg and Moscow and some of the Russian capitals, he was embraced. And during that time in the high society, he somehow came in contact with the, the king and his family, Tsar Nicholas II. The Romanov family had been... Uh, ruling in Russia for 300 years, that dynasty. Well, they had a son named Alexei that struggled with hemophilia, and uh, Rasputin claimed to be able to heal him, and it seemed like that when he did his incantations or hypnosis, I'm not exactly sure what happened, the boy improved whenever he was having some episode struggling with bleeding, and or he was anemic. And... Uh, uh, the parents were very anxious then to keep this holy man around. Well, he enjoyed the attention, the prestige. He was in the press quite a bit, and everyone was fawning over him. And uh, over a period of months and years, uh, it became where he invaded the family, began to manipulate the family, and control the affairs of the state. And many believe that it was because of his evil influence, Tsar Nicholas was making bad military decisions during World War I, Eventually, the um, communists overthrew the Tsar in his empire, and a lot of it can be traced back to the bad counsel they had from Rasputin. Rasputin was assassinated. The communists uh, arrested the Romanov family, and eventually they were all executed. They believed the wrong source, and it destroyed an empire, not to mention a family. So, we need to guard against believing the wrong sources. Remember, the devil is a wolf who dresses up in sheep's clothing to deceive sheep. And his tactics have been very successful. When Christians believe the devil, uh, it would seem like that would be a contradiction. Christians are Christians because they don't believe the devil. Well, there are many who want to be Christians that sometimes believe the wrong source. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name and cast out devils in your name and done many wonderful works in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice iniquity. Here are believers who thought they were listening to the Lord, but they were listening to the wrong voice. Go to the end of time. Look in Revelation 12. That great dragon, who's that? It's the devil, Satan, was cast out, who deceives the whole world. There are so many who believe the enemy. Revelation 19, verse 20, the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet. And Jesus warns us there'll be many false prophets in the last days, who work signs 
in his presence by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshiped the image. Now, so much of the warnings that we read about in the Bible are warning Christians against believing the enemy because he is um, he's a deceiver. Now, the story I'd like to use as a template for the points I want to make today is found in the book of Numbers. So if you have your Bibles, you might join me by going to Numbers 13. And I'll be setting the stage for you here. Numbers chapter 13 here. The children of Israel are on the borders of the Jordan River. Originally, God's plan was save them from Egypt. He miraculously fed them on their way to the Mount Sinai. There at Mount Sinai, they got the Ten Commandments. He gave them instructions on building a sanctuary. They built the sanctuary, better understood the plan of salvation, and then go on into the promised land. That was God's plan. But there were some uh, distractions along the way. Something went wrong. As they got to the borders, right there at the threshold of the promised land, the Jordan River, they can look across the river and see the promised land. They're right there. It's right, right within their reach. And don't forget, the reason it's called the promised land is because God promised to give it to them. But they began to doubt the promise. And so they said to Moses, um, you know, nobody's been there in a long time. I mean, you think about it. Who were the last Jews that were in the promised land at this point? When Jacob and his family came out over 200 years earlier, there's no record of any of the Jewish people going back from Egypt to visit or vacation in the Promised Land. They had not seen it in over two centuries. And so they said, you know, we're going to take this land, but we don't, nobody here has lived, nobody in this two million people that came out of Egypt know anything about it. We need to send some spies over and take a look at it. So the Lord gave them permission. Now when you read it here in Numbers 13, it sounds like it's God's idea, but you read in Deuteronomy chapter 1, and it says the people came and said, let's have some spies. They started having second thoughts. So they went up and they spied out the land. I'm in verse 21, Numbers chapter 13. From the wilderness of Zin, as far as Rehob, to the entrance of Hamath. And they went through the south, and they came to Hebron, Ahiam, Sheshenai, and Talmai, the descendants of Anak were there. Now, Anak was this a giant king. I think he had a bed that was 13 feet long. Now, keep that in mind. Goliath's only nine and a half feet. So he was the giant of the giants. Then they came to the valley of Eshkol, and they cut down a branch with one cluster of grapes, and they carried it between two of them on a pole. It says they brought some of the pomegranates and the figs, and the place where they cut down the grapes was Eshkol because the cluster that the men cut down, and that means cluster. And they returned from spying out the land after 40 days. Now, I'm going to stop here and just let you know that there was soon discovered a different attitude between two of the spies and ten of the spies. And it unfolded something like this. After they crossed over the Jordan River, and the first big city they saw there was Jericho, Joshua and Caleb said, look at all the palm trees. Look at the size of the dates. Look at the spring, later known as the spring of Elisha. And Karen and I and some of us here were there this year. And they saw all the waters, and they saw this is like the Garden of Eden. It's beautiful. But ten of the spies said, are you guys out of your mind? Look at the walls. 
How could we ever conquer a city with walls that are that thick and that high and that well fortified? Look at the thickness of the gates. How are we ever going to conquer a fortress like this? And two of them, they said, I don't know, that's God's problem. He'll, he'll work it out. I mean, look what he just did for us. He brought us out of Egypt. Have you forgotten all the miracles? A year hadn't gone by since the ten plagues fell on Egypt. They had overcome the greatest empire in the world. So Joshua and Caleb said, well, I don't know how God's going to do it, but hey, he's God. He'll do it. Believe the Lord. He said it's the promised land. He made a promise. Let's believe his promise. Ten of them said, ah, oh, there's no way. They go up to the uh, area of Hebron where the Anakim lived, the giants. And from the bushes they looked and they saw the giants coming in and out of the gates, bumping their heads every time because they're so tall. They said, man, we're like grasshoppers in their sight. And Caleb, he said, wow. He's sticking his hands in the soil and pulls up this rich human soil. He said, you can grow anything here. This is great. Look at the springs, the southern exposure. Look at the size of these olive trees. Look. And Caleb and, and Joshua are thinking, what a beautiful country. And, and the other guy said, you guys are out of your mind. How can we ever conquer a nation of giants? There's nobody like this in Egypt. They said, well, I don't know. But uh, it's God's problem. And it just kept happening like that. As they went from place to place over 40 days, 10 of them kept looking at the obstacles. Two of them kept looking at the promises. And two of them refused to be discouraged by the pessimism of the majority. Now keep in mind, they were all church members. Two of them believed all things are possible with God. Ten of them did not believe that. Ten of them were believing the devil who was whispering doubt and fear to their minds all the time. Don't forget to request today's life-changing free resource. Not only can you receive this free gift in the mail, you can download a digital copy straight to your computer or mobile device. To get your copy of today's free gift, simply call us and ask for the offer number shown on your screen. Or visit the web address and download a digital copy. And be sure to select the digital download option on the request page. It's now easier than ever for you to study God's Word with amazing facts, wherever and whenever you want. And most important, to share it with others. Now this is just an old story. It would have nothing to do with us today, right? So, after 40 days, it says they returned. This is verse 25, from spying out the land. Verse 26, And they departed, they came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregation. You know, congregation is, they're looking through their binoculars. They didn't have binoculars, so they would do this with their eyes. They're looking down the road. And they keep waiting for these spies to return. And finally they see some, some um, figures on the horizon coming. And they, they say, they're coming. And they blow the trumpet. And all the congregation comes together. They want to hear this report. They've been waiting over a month to find out, you know, we've come out of Egypt for this moment to go into the promised land. We don't know what it looks like. This is the closest thing we're going to get to video or, you know, newspaper of what's there. And so they come back. And all the people gather. But evidently, uh, I think that two of them outran ten of them. Because it seems like the report changes. 
So they came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel, and they brought back word, and they showed them the fruit of the land. See, I think Joshua and Caleb were the ones, it says the grapes were carried between two of them. Ten of them thought, oh, why bother? We're never going to eat these grapes. We'll never have this land. But Caleb and Joshua said, oh, we've got to show this to the people. And knowing how negative their friends were, I think that they outran them, even though they were probably surrounded by fruit flies, because they've got grapes, and it says figs, and they've probably got pomelos and pomegranates and sticky dates in their pockets. And, and uh, Joshua and Caleb, they're just thinking about the fruit of the land. They come and they bring the report, and they come, and here's verse 27. This is Caleb and Joshua. Then they told them, they said, We went to the land where you sent us, and truly it flows with milk and honey, and this is the fruit. And you can just hear all the congregations going, Ooh, you know, they're plucking off these grapes, and they're tossing, and they say, Incoming! And tossing the fruit to everybody, and everyone's going, Yes, they're rejoicing, and things are really positive, until the other ten came dragging up. And here's where you have the majority report. You've got to decide today if you want to believe the minority report or the majority report. The majority report was, nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there, the giants, and the Amalekites dwell in the land to the south, and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites and the Termites they dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea along the banks of the Jordan. And the next verse says, Caleb quieted the people. Now, why did Caleb need to quiet the people? What do you think was happening when the ten finally caught up and they began to say, Oy vey, the, the people are so big and there's so many and their cities are fortified and they're trained and ready for war and they can defend it and, and the giants live there and they had nothing good to say. Did you notice that? The second part of the report, nothing good to say. And so Caleb saw that the opinion was changing and the people were becoming discouraged and he quieted them. Now this is, this is the crux of the whole story. This is really, really important that you catch this next passage. Verse 30, Numbers 13, verse 30. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and he said, let us go up at once. He said, not only can we take it, we can take it today. And he had just gone 40 days. He said, let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. Based on what? How could he say that? Based on what had already happened over the last year. God had provided everything for him. He had given him victory over the most, these are the, the people who built the pyramids. There's nothing that was in the promised land like what you find in Egypt. God had overcome the Egyptians. He said, this is nothing for God. We're well able. He had faith based on past evidence. Now, does God want us to have faith? Does He want us to have blind faith? All real faith, I believe, is based on evidence. Why did David think he could kill Goliath? Did he tell Saul? He said, when I was a boy, a bear came. And I went out after the bear, and I smote it and killed it. And then a lion came. And I went out after the lion, and I smote it, and I killed it. I believe Goliath will be like the bear and the lion. God's shown me that he can use me to kill animals that are bigger and stronger than I am. I think I can kill the giant with God's help. 
So he had evidence. Has God ever given you evidence to believe? Has he ever given you any victories? Have you had any answered prayers upon which to base your faith? Caleb said, we're able. He wasn't just having some kind of irrational, warm feeling that made him think it. He said, I believe based on the evidence of all God has provided for us and all the deliverance we've received and the victories we've received, the Amalekites had attacked them in the wilderness. They got victory with Joshua when Moses held up his hands. That was behind them now. They had that evidence too. Said, I believe that God will give us victory. But the other ten spies said, we are not able. Now here you have it, friends. We are able or we are not able. Which is it? Do you know you have the same decision to grapple with today? Now, don't miss, these are all church leaders. Isn't that right? Now, what is the giant? Are we at war against the Amalekites, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Anakim? No. It's the devil, right? In his many forms. And some believe that Christians are just forgiven that we can't overcome. And others believe, no, we are able to overcome. And Jesus said in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, to him that overcomes, to him that overcomes, to him. He says it seven times. Why would Jesus say to him that overcomes all these promises if it wasn't possible for you to overcome? The question is, do you believe Jesus? Or do you believe the devil? Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, Jude commends his book with a benediction saying, you can surrender yourself to the one who is able to keep you from falling. How did the children of Israel ultimately take the promised land? One day at a time. And you know, it didn't happen in one day or one week or in one month. It was over a year. It was several years. But they did take it. How are we able to be victorious in our battles with the devil? The same way. One day at a time. Sometimes it's one little temptation at a time. Moment by moment. You are able. Now was it true that the Canaanites were better armed? Yes. Were their cities better fortified? Yes. Were the people there physically bigger and stronger? Yes. Were the people more numerous? Yes. Did that matter when you're fighting with God? No. Because the Bible says one of you will chase a thousand. This is why Joshua, I'm sorry, why Jonathan could be victorious when he and his armor bearer went against the Philistines. He said there's no restraint with the Lord whether to save by few or many. So the two of them went against twenty. And they won. One person with faith in God is a majority. Whatever the problem happens to be. So we've got to decide, do we believe or not? Uh, the just shall live by faith, faith in God. Faith is not faith if you see the obvious. Faith becomes important when it doesn't look like you're going to win, but you believe in an outside power that's greater. F.B. Meyer said, unbelief puts our circumstances between us and God. Faith puts God between us and our circumstances. When you've got faith in God, you might see a mountain and you go, oh, I don't know how we're going to get over that mountain. Well, don't look at the mountain. Put God between you and the mountain. And that might be a mountain of temptation or sin or whatever the problems are in your life. That's what makes a Christian a Christian.
A weak faith is weakened by predicaments and catastrophes, whereas a strong faith is strengthened by them, Viktor Frankl said. Someone else wrote, faith sees the invisible, believes the incredible, receives the impossible. So you got one group says, we can do it. The other group says, we can't do it. I want to go to verse 32 of chapter 13. Just finish this chapter out. And they, the ten spies, gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land that they spied out, saying, the land through which we've gone as spies is a land that devours the inhabitants. Isn't it, isn't it amazing how two groups can look at the same thing and see something so different? They're, they're looking at the same thing. One group is saying, it truly flows with milk and honey and it's sweet and here's the produce of it. And the other one says, it eats up the inhabitants. Well, which is it? Have you ever heard the little quip that says, two men looked out of prison bars, one saw mud and one saw stars? Depends on where you're looking. I heard about this guy that worked with a, a Christian lady and she was just always so positive. He was negative. He was an atheist. And she was a Christian and she was a believer and she was just always so positive. No matter what happened, she'd always turn it around and say something positive. And it used to irritate him. He'd try to get her to join him in his, in his bad news and complaining about the government and the job and everything else and that they could commiserate together. But she'd always turn around and make him feel bad because she was always positive. And uh, he thought, I got her. She's a Christian. So he went to her one day, he said, what do you think of that old devil? She said, well, he certainly is busy, isn't he? <laughs> Always say something positive, no matter what. <laughs> so these ten of these spies, they couldn't think of anything nice to say. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight before the children of Anak. You know, the devil make you feel so puny. So the congregation, chapter 14, verse 1, all the congregation lifted up their voices and they cried and the people wept all night and all the children of Israel complained against Moses. They took it out on the, the leaders. They complained against Aaron and they said, if only we had died in the land of Egypt. Be careful what you pray about. Or if only we had died in this wilderness. Why has the Lord brought us out to destroy us and our children by the sword? that we should be victims. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said, let's select a different leader and return to Egypt. They said, let's find a leader that believes like us. They didn't want one that would tell them the truth. They said, let's find one that would tell us what we want to hear. And Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. But Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh who were among those who had spied out the land they tore their clothes and they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel saying the land through which we pass to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If it's an, not just a good land. He said it's an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in one says it's a land that devours the inhabitants. Well if they devour the inhabitants then how do all their enemies seem to be thriving? If the Lord delights in us, He'll bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows in milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord or fear the people of the land, for there are bread. We'll eat them up. Their protection is departed from them. And the Lord is with us. This is why Caleb and Joshua, they can look right out there. Here they are complaining God's never going to bring us into the promised land. Are you aware that right there within sight they could see the Shekinah glory above the tent? 
and they still were neglecting the evidence of God's presence. You know, I'm convinced that all you got to do is listen to the devil for five minutes. You might have 50 years of miracles. You will forget those 50 years of miracles in five minutes of listening to the devil. The ones who believed that God could save them were saved. The ones who believed they would make it to the promised land made it to the promised land. It doesn't say that Joshua and Caleb were smarter than everyone else. It doesn't say they had bigger muscles than everyone else. They had more self-control than everybody else. They had more faith than the others. Their faith, their trust was that God could do it for them. And God did it because they believed. Do you associate with positive people? He that walks with wise men will be wise. He that walks with complainers will complain. You know, I think it's important for Christians, and we all have friends that might want to, you know, bend our ear with a problem, and you can pray with them, and we want to encourage each other, but, you know, I think we ought to search out, we ought to try to be people of faith and encouragement, people who believe in victory, that God can give us victory, not just always talk about grace and defeat. I believe that God forgives sin. I thank God for His grace. But if we're always focusing on Jesus on the cross, and we don't focus on Jesus risen, that He can live a new life in us, then it's always about just being forgiven and it's not about victory. And Christ wants His people to be a people who believe in old things are passed away, all things are made new. I am a new creature. I am born again. And it's the new birth. This is the power of the gospel. Amen? Don't forget to request today's life-changing free resource. Not only can you receive this free gift in the mail, you can download a digital copy straight to your computer or mobile device. To get your digital copy of today's free gift, simply text the keyword on your screen to 40544 or visit the web address shown on your screen. And be sure to select the digital download option on the request page. It's now easier than ever for you to study God's Word with amazing facts wherever and whenever you want. And most important, to share it with others. What if you could know the future? What would you do? What would you change? To see the future, you must understand the past. This intriguing documentary, hosted by Pastor Doug Batchelor, explores the most striking Bible prophecies that have been dramatically fulfilled throughout history, Kingdoms in Time. For more information, visit KingdomsInTime.com. Did you know this boat could share the gospel with 20,000 people? Or a car like this one could reach 10,000 souls seeking hope in Jesus? If you have a vehicle you're not using and would like to reach hearts for the kingdom of God, prayerfully consider donating your vehicle to Amazing Facts today. It's easy to turn your unneeded car, boat, RV, motorcycle, even ATVs and jet skis into a soul-winning vehicle for Christ and get a tax deduction. Amazing Facts will arrange to pick up your vehicle and provide you with a tax-deductible receipt. The proceeds from the resale will be used to share God's truth with millions of people around the world. Don't leave your vehicle in the garage collecting dust. Use it to transform lives through Amazing Facts. Contact us today and let us help turn your car, boat, RV, or motorcycle into lives saved for Christ. 
Don't forget to request today's free offer. It's sure to be a blessing. And thank you for your continued support as we take the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. We hope you'll join us next week as we delve deep into the Word of God to explore more amazing facts. This presentation was brought to you by the Friends of the Amazing Facts Ministry.